Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to the Business of You. Welcome to today's episode of the Business of You. Today's guest is Kevin Lancaster, and he is the founder and CEO of a company called Channel Program. Channel Program is one of the fastest growing companies in an industry that is valued at over $2 trillion. It's Kevin's story is a very fascinating story. He's an extremely successful entrepreneur and has other companies that he has scaled and sold, including one in the cybersecurity industry. Kevin's a great guy. He is a brand ID client. Just want to add that that notation there. I think you're going to really enjoy this interview. And for anybody growing and scaling a company, there's a lot of inspiration to be heard in today's interview. Success doesn't always come as easily and readily as we think. And Kevin is living and breathing testimony to that. But he's onto something big with Channel Program. You're going to learn a lot from today's episode about how Kevin is seeking to democratize the space where managed service providers and vendors, MSPs and vendors, can conduct business more easily, more efficiently to both grow and scale in this massive industry. I hope you enjoy today's episode of The Business of You. Please share it with a friend if you think they can benefit from this episode too. And of course, like and leave a review. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Kevin, great to have you on the show today. Very excited to dig in. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this uh, since you brought it up. So thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Even though I know your backstory, our, our audience doesn't. So could you share how you got to where you are today, which I know is a, a long and windy road. So definitely share some of the the ups and downs you encountered along the way and some of the other startups you've had and and what you did to uh, to grow and scale them too. This is a, a three-hour podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Um, Start at the beginning. Let me let me let me break it down and ask some prompting questions in the middle because I realize that's a big lofty one. So, yeah. you where were you born? Tell us a little bit about your early years. I was born in Camp Zama in Japan. Um, yeah, so I was a military brat. My father had a couple tours in Japan and Alaska. He was a, a Japanese and Russian linguist and, and ended up at uh, NSA here in Maryland. Um, but for the most part, Maryland's been home. Um, I, I don't know Japanese. My brother was pretty fluent. He's 10 years my my senior. He was born there as well, I think, on a previous tour. But um, Maryland, for the most part, has been home. And, and uh yeah, I'm, 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 I wear the Maryland uh, flag uh, with pride. <laughs> and where did you go to, to college? What did you study? So I went to the University of Maryland. 
mm-hmm. um, and studied history. Um, and I always, you know, I wanted to go to the business school, um, uh, but, uh, I didn't have the grades. The grades weren't strong enough. Um, but I was also like fascinated, you know, really, uh, curious about history. Uh, and so, uh, went the, uh, the humanities route and, uh, it was a great experience. Um, but I did get uh, a chance to talk my way into working at the Dingman Center for Entrepreneurship at the University of Maryland while I was uh, in the history program. And that was fascinating uh, at that time. Um, there was a little company, tiny company called Under Armour, uh, that was just uh, taking root at the University of Maryland at the, the same time as the Dingman Center. So um, I wasn't you know, extremely involved, but I, I did get to see some of the early uh, early elements of their business plan and, and how Kevin and the team, you know, pull things together. Uh, it was pretty fascinating to see, see those guys do what, what they did, obviously now being a global brand, but um, yeah, Maryland was, uh, was a great experience. Hmm. And then what, so what was your first job out of college? Jeez. So during college, I worked for a pool company, um, you know, kind of did that typical kind of lifeguard thing in the, in the summertime, uh, and Rob, uh, Roberton, uh, the, I guess, president of the company, owner of the company asked if I would come on and, and work full-time, you know, year round. And it was interesting because that pool company, and you think, yeah, it's a pool company. How sophisticated could a pool company be? How exciting could it be? But I think they had, you know, roughly 500 pools in around the, the DC, Maryland, Virginia region. So all these communities and hotel pool. So you think about just kind of the coordination, logistics, the sales that goes into selling to that many uh, communities um, and what it takes to pull off, uh, you know, a, a business of that size is pretty fascinating. I think they grew that to, you know, 20, 30 million uh, might be more, uh, but it was, it was another fascinating aspect of this was that those were the early days of these uh, H, HB one visas. And so I think maybe 60, 70% of the staff that we had, uh, we're coming from Eastern Europe, South America. Uh, so that part was 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 fascinating as well. So it was, it was an international pool business. Uh, so that was really kind of the first, you know, you know, true like, you know, job, you know, in and right after uh, right after college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where did you start your own entrepreneurial journey? Shortly thereafter, you know, I'd always, you know, I was fortunate. Uh, a brother again mentioned he's ten years my my senior, and he's he was very entrepreneurial, um, very uh, sales driven, real estate um, sold houses to you know folks like Pat Sajak, the Wheel of Fortune, uh, just about every Washington Capital, uh, you know, hockey player uh, back then. We had the uh, Washington Bullets; they weren't the Wizards then, but all the Bullets. Um, and so kind of, um, it was just fascinating to see, you know, my brother and and do what he did. Uh, so, you know, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, what I wanted to start, but I knew, knew that I wasn't, it wasn't going to stay in the pool business forever. Um, but I did get a phenomenal education, uh, from, uh, from Rob and, and just, you know, just business 2.0. I don't even know how to describe it. He, He was very kind to me to let me just get you know, my mind around, um, operation, how to run a business. But, um, you know, I thought maybe we'll, I'll franchise, remember, you know, talking to one of my buddies, John, um, maybe we'll franchise a smoothie King or a subway franchise or something like that. But, you know, yeah, I don't know if that's really the big thing, but so 
back in 2003. So this is probably, you know, four or five years after college. Um, uh, talking to another buddy of mine who was in the consulting space and it was really, you know, consulting around government contracts. And so I said, Hey, let's, let's kind of go out there and hang a shingle and see if we can make it happen. So we had a third business partner and started that company Windvale in 2003. And, uh, I just exited that one about, uh, seven months ago. Uh, so I had, uh, yeah, had that for about 20 years and that was a, a mainstay, big part of my identity. Um, you know, for the last 20 years and, uh, very exciting. It's allowed me to spin out other companies and, and yeah. scale. And yeah, so it's a great incubator for us. That's amazing. I didn't realize mm. you started it that long ago. Yeah. And mm. congrats on the exit there. Thank you. Um, so was ID agent your next company after Windvale? Yeah. So, so the great thing about Windvale is that, you know, we owned sites like governmentcontract.com and gsascoder.com and, for folks that don't know, GSA schedule is kind of a primary contract vehicle that you would use to sell goods and services to the government. Uh, and it was great that we, we, I mean, thousands of companies we worked with, we brought them into the public sector and helped them figure out how to, you know, sell effectively. Uh, and then, you know, a couple of years into it, we started, you know, we launched essentially kind of an MSP or reseller business um, underneath the windmill. And it was great because we were the front door for a lot of these like leading edge, bleeding edge technologies. There's, you know, great success story, a company called Palantir out on the West Coast that, um, you know, we picked them up at the airport for their first, you know, couple you know meetings and they skyrocketed and went public and, you know, multi-billion dollar company. But so we had a number of those, um, those types of relationships where we would, we would help you get them started and then get them, you know, going and we'd win a you know, couple million dollar contract here and there. Uh, but then inevitably these companies would be acquired by big companies. Uh, we had a fantastic company called Numara Software that we, you know, I don't know, maybe did 600, 700 customer sites, you know, federal, state, and local government customers, and, you know, maybe $10 million in revenue, something like that. But, we, it, you know, as we were building momentum and traction, they end up getting bought by BMC software. And so you get kind of get stuck into this quagmire anytime this happens when a small company gets bought, bought by a larger company. So long, long story short, you kind of got tired of, of just, you know, being at the mercy of these other companies. You know, we're, we're really good at, at um, sales and, and, you know, pipeline building and what have you. So back in 2015, you know, kind of, kind of had that, you know, light bulb moment that um, there is a, there was kind of this booming security marketplace, you know, and, and even today, I mean, security is, 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 a uh, you know, kind of a mysterious black hole and, you know, what should you buy or what have you. But back then, you know, we're starting to see some data out in the dark web uh, and figured there's a way to commercialize uh, a platform to help people understand that their data is out there, it's exposed, and they need to be doing something about it proactively. And so that was the the origin of ID Agent. You know, we spun that out of out of Windvale. Um, you know, and it helped at that time. Um, you know, we'd won a large uh, uh, breach response contract with the uh, U.S. government with OPM. If you remember back in 2015 when they were compromised by uh, a nation state. Uh, by China. And so we were brought in to do all the identity restoration. And that's where we started to see just how bad this, this concept or this, you know, 
this, uh, you know, exploited credential concept is, you know, out on tour. And so spun that uh, out. Um, I think we spun it out in 2017, officially. We started, you know, selling to enterprise and the government customers, but it's just, it was such a slow sales process, you know, and RFPs and just, you know, and we were trying to convey like the urgency about this. Like, you know, you've got, in some cases, you know, we'd go to a large, you know, law firm and say, you've got 5,000 employees and 3,000 have compromised passwords out there out in clear text. You know, you need to do something about it. And it's like, ah, well, we'll get to it when we get to it. Um, uh, so we kind of played in that, you know, enterprise space for a little bit, but then we pivoted into, into this, uh, what's called channel, you know, selling into MSPs and into the kind of the VAR community. And so we spun that out in 2017 and we had a kind of a rocket ship rise in the channel and went from essentially zero MSP partners to 2000. And, um, we ended up selling that to a large platform in the channel called Kaseya. And, uh, that was, a that was, a another great, uh, you know, success story there. For our audience members that don't know what an MSP is or a VAR or a channel, can you describe that, please? Yeah. So if you, you know, if you're to use software example, right? Software company has a couple different ways to go to market. Uh, typically they start out selling direct to customers. As I mentioned, like we were selling directly to enter, uh, to enterprise. So we had to build a sales team to sell to enterprise and, you know, and, you know, go through those sales cycles, what have you. Um, there's, so they're selling direct and then there's you're selling indirect and indirect is typically, you know, you know, titled channel, like, so selling through a channel, um, and underneath the channel, there are, as you mentioned, or I mentioned earlier, MSP. So those are managed service providers, and those are, uh, typically it service providers that are supporting small businesses. So they might be supporting a bank or a law firm or a dental practice, and they're providing email, they're providing backup, they're providing security solutions to make sure that that dental practice is, you know, secure and compliant. Um, And then you have another layer to the channel called VARs that just resell products, value-added resellers. Um, yeah, and, and if you look in, in North America, the estimates are between you know fifty to sixty thousand managed service providers, and then when you go to that next level to VARs or resellers in general, there's probably another hundred to two hundred thousand resellers, and then kind of the top end of the channel, you have these big systems integrators that you hear about that you know run these you know massive you know integration projects, and so. Yes, we we've been pretty focused on channel. You know, obviously, it's a is a newest company's titled channel program. We've been you know focused on channel for the last uh, eight years or so, nine years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your um, you sold ID agent after just a couple of years, was it to Kaseya? Mm-hmm. It was. It was to Kaseya. Yeah, and uh, that was a great experience, a great outcome. Um, we knew that we had the velocity and. And the benefit of of selling uh, to Kaseya at that point was that, you know, they had an army of, of salespeople, three, four, 500 salespeople, and they had a platform of different products that they could bring our product in and cross sell to their customers. And so we saw that as a very, you know, very efficient uh, way to go. We, we were at a point where we had raised, we didn't, we didn't commit, but we had raised, you know, $5 million. We were going to kind of go down that path and, and grow ourselves. And, um, but we, um, we kind of looked at the model that that Fred and the team at Kaseya put together, and it just it made a lot of sense at that point. 
Uh, and so I stayed on for just over two years. I ran global go to market and a you know large sales team, and then uh, ran uh, corp dev, so acquired a whole bunch of companies and folded them underneath of the Kaseya portfolios. That was another great experience, um, kind of learning experience. And you know Fred was very gracious to let me get in and really understand operationally, you know how a business of that size runs, how you operate and scale a business that's you know, multi billion dollar you know uh, organization. Yeah. 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 You got your business school education after all. So, so, so what that you didn't have the grades back in college, right? right? This is way better, way better. Yeah. All these experiences. Yeah. Okay. So two years ago, you started channel program and, t- and tell us about channel program and, and what exactly you're doing there. Yeah. So at this moment, um, I remember sitting at a, at a, a board meeting up in New York, uh, Kaseya was backed by Insight and TPG uh, at the time. They still are. Um, but I remember sitting at the board meeting, we're talking about the the acquisitions that we were lining up and and um it's got the thinking that there are tens of thousands of software companies out there that are that are looking or sell through the channel or looking to sell or sell you know through the channel. I was thinking there's gotta be a better way to help these emerging vendors enter the channel, you know, and you know, get exposure. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there's got to be a way to help the channel partners. So those MSPs that are looking for these innovative solutions got to be a better way for them to find these technologies, you know, and, and figure out if they want to engage with them and then, you know, bring them into their portfolio. And so, so didn't know exactly what it was, but I guess because I spent so much time uh, over the last 20 plus years uh, in small business and, and, you know, trying to solve problems that I felt like, you know, I, I had to go back out and and try to build something that helped make this industry more efficient, you know, by, you know, there's a, a couple analysts that that peg the channel at about $2.2 trillion. Um, so the amount of software and hardware and services that flow through resellers and MSPs globally is around $2.2 trillion. But Having been on both sides of the table by then, you know, with you know, uh, with Windvale and and looking to sell technologies and provide those to you know our customers, and then having built a software company and looking to sell through channel, and then then running go to market at you know arguably the largest company in the channel, I had a, I had a pretty unique perspective, I think, of the pain points that that the industry had, and so that's where I said, all right, I mean. I'd uh, I'd fulfilled my two year obligation. Actually, you know, give them a couple extra months. Uh, but um, so there's got to be a way to go out and build a platform that helps make this industry that much more efficient. Allows these emerging vendors to scale faster and and allows the the MSPs to to run their businesses more effectively and partner with the technologies that make sense for them to partner with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one thing that always struck me with channel programming and your concept was you used the word democratize a lot. You wanted to democratize the industry. So can you expand a little bit on where the industry wasn't always um, democratic and yeah. what your, your, you know, kind of like the core, I think of, um, at the core of you, like your passion within this is to equal the playing field. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Because when we launched, I think the, the press release that we put out said, you know, these big words like fragmentation and democratize, you know, democratize the channel. And 
And that really came from the fact that, you know, there are a handful of large, you know, vendors out there that are that are private equity backed or they're publicly traded, you know, and they have, you know, deep pockets. And you know, what would what, what I'd see at these, you know, industry events is that, you know, at the trade shows, you'd go up and down the rows and you could see that the the big vendors had the pockets to be able to to keep out all these emerging vendors. Right. So really in their they're in my opinion, they were stymieing, you know, or or yeah, I mean stymieing the you know innovation that could occur within the channel. Because these small, you know, scrappy startups that had these great ideas, these great platforms weren't get the visibility. They couldn't afford, you know, the hundred thousand dollar keynote speaking spot. You know, they might get the the 10 by 10 at the back of the hall where that gets little traffic by, you know, by the bathrooms, right? Um, and so inherently you see that, you know, year over year that the the big vendors and and it is what it is. I mean, they they want to protect their their you know customer base and you know they wanna they wanna you know make sure that they're seen in front of everybody and um they want to keep kind of you know the bad guys out, all these emerging vendors. So um, that that was one element of the democratization. You can see, especially post-COVID, right? As we as we got back to these in-person events, the in-person event costs skyrocketed. I think it almost tripled in some cases. And so you could see, you know, pretty clearly that the innovative emerging vendors were just getting priced out of this marketplace. Like there, it was just no question. Like they were they were priced out. So as we launched, um, the platform we started with this concept of channel pitch and every month we would do about two hour you know like uh you know virtual event and we didn't care what size company you were we didn't care if you were a you know true startup um that you know hadn't got the cash flow positive we didn't care if you were you know that multi-billion dollar you know vendor everybody got the same seven minutes to pitch right you know, and, and, and so we started, you know, with that thought of like, all right, you get seven minutes, you get, everybody gets seven minutes. Uh, and we'll let the, we'll let the industry decide who they want to engage with. And that was, I think, pretty cool, uh, element of the platform is that the IT service provider, the MSP, the, you know, the channel, uh, side of the, the industry, they could log into the platform. They can watch the presentations anonymously. So it was, it was a much different experience than, going to a trade show as a you know attendee and knowing that when you get back to your office that next monday or tuesday every exhibitor is going to start blowing you up because they got the exhibitor list and they're going to email you email you email you or call you call you call you so um we got a lot of you know just amazing compliments and praise from the channel of saying i love the fact that i can go in you know i'm in control now because i don't i don't you know i can decide whether i want to engage with these vendors or not and so that was a that was a big part of the platform is protecting, you know, the the channel's privacy, putting control back into their hands. Uh, but at the same time, you know, making an even playing field for the emerging vendors, you know, as well as the the big vendors out there in the marketplace. And so we're coming up on I think our twenty second uh, pitch. We can now call it engage. Um, but uh, yes, and I think we've had I've lost count, maybe 120, 130 companies. Um, of all sizes uh, participate in in those pitch events, so it's been it's been pretty successful. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, and I know in this company you're really like iterating on the fly quite a bit. So, 
can you share just what that's like as a CEO, you know, emotionally, um, just financially all around? I mean, you're self-funded to date, which is mm-hmm. extremely impressive, right? Um, so yeah, just share a, a little bit of that with us because it, it's, it's inspiring. So yeah. while you might be sitting there thinking like, oh, this has been really challenging, I think to others, it's it's going to inspire yeah, you know, as I mentioned, I, you know, if I if I go back in time, you know, maybe I would have waited another month or two to really get my, you know, kind of my North Star initiative, you know, in front of me. But I knew there was something to solve. Uh, and I knew that if we could, we start by building a community, you know, because, we, you know, we had, you know, great reputations in industry and, you know, both the, the vendor side of the industry and the and the channel side, we knew if we can build a community you know, that was going to be a foundation for, you know, something. We didn't know exactly what, but we knew that there was something there. Um, and as we progressed, right, um, you know, I think we knew that the Engage events, as innovative and as as great as they are, um, you couldn't really build a a business around doing a virtual event every month, right? And then, you know, put metrics around it and look how to scale, what have you. So, so I think we saw that maybe about a month in, two months in, um, where we had to had to really build value, uh, and so we started looking at um, you know the earliest kind of versions of kind of call it a rough business plan, more kind of a PowerPoint, um, you know, Frankenstein PowerPoint. But um, said how do we how do we go from here, and how do we build a recurring revenue business that provides value to both sides of the industry? Um, and so it took us maybe another three or four months, five months. So we launched in December of 21. So maybe by um, maybe by May or something like that, April, May of 22, I think we really understood what direction we needed to, to go. And we got a lot of great feedback from the channel, what they're looking for. We got a lot of great feedback from the vendors, you know, what they're looking for. Um, but, you know, it, it is, it's very much sleepless nights, right? It's, it's, you know, you know that there's value to be provided. You know that there's big problems to solve and you hear, you know, $2.2 trillion marketplace, fragmentation, friction, you know, you know, democratization, there's gotta be something there. So as we started to iterate, we started to figure out, you know, what, what are the things that, what are the real problems to be solved for the for the MSP and what are the real problems to be solved for the vendors? And so, so starting with the MSP or starting with the channel, we knew that we're providing value because they're logging in and they're seeing these technologies and they're trying to figure out if they want to engage. Um, but as we started talking to MSPs, we realized that most of these MSPs, these, these, these managed service providers, and just sticking with them for a minute, they're roughly you know, I think 80% of the marketplace is is a million dollars or below. So these are small businesses. Um, we know that small business typically runs their business in Excel, right? Um, and so as we started to talk to the MSPs, we realized that they're very much, as they're looking at technologies, they're looking at vendors, they're they're basically, you know, putting them in an Excel spreadsheet and saying, all right, here's what I'm using for my backup solution. Here's what I'm using for my, you know, O365 email. Here's who I'm, you know, buying it from. And so one of the first concepts is like, gosh, we gotta help the 
the channel visualize their technology, their stack, right? Like what are the tools that they're working with? Um, you know, as we started to kind of dig into that challenge, we realized most of these, uh, most of these small businesses don't know their contract start dates and end dates, right? I mean, they're just not thinking about it, right? And then they get automatically renewed. And so there's this whole like, you know, friction and hold this pain point for, for the channel. Um, and so we started to kind of riff on that and iterate, um, and kind of an early prototype of now what we call Navistack. Um, but at the same time, because we were, you know, call it a two-sided marketplace, we were trying to figure out what, what are the, the pain points for the vendors, you know, and it's, it's tough to do. It's a, it's a tough, um, you know, again, it, if I could go back in, in time and, you know, look, I'm thankful for where we are and blessed and we're moving extremely fast, but, you know, I would have tried to identify these, these pain points a lot sooner before we really, really went down this path. But on the vendor side, we realized that, you know, the vendor, if you're a software company or any product company, right, you know, your challenges are customer acquisition, right? So how do you get in front of them? And we were kind of solving that with Engage. Uh, and then you have customer enablement, especially with a lot of these, you know, uh, security solutions that these MSPs have to try to sell to their customers. They need to be educated on, on how to sell the tools. They need the, the marketing materials. Uh, and so the first thing was, you know, uh, you know, customer um, acquisition. Second is customer enablement or partner enablement. And the third was retention. And so we knew like those are the three primary challenges of any, you know, software company, right? Especially if you're a recurring revenue business. So we started to build out this platform we called Channel Command. So, so over the last year, we've been kind of, and this is what's been kind of wonky about how we got here is that, you know, and for those that are familiar with software and this concept of sprints, um, you know, we'd have one sprint focused on building out Navistack, and then we'd have another sprint built, you know, focused on building out channel command for the vendor. And then every month we're going back and forth and back and forth um, until we, you know, it, maybe it's, it was by design, but, um, but until we figured out where we needed to be and we landed on it, I think in, in two really good spots with these two, to uh tools that we now provide to to the channel but yeah it's um it is it's very much you can't see here but um i've got a whiteboard uh in front of me on uh, the side of my desk and and I, it literally uh, you know i'm working from home and and i'll shut my door and and i'll just stare at this whiteboard and um might not be the most productive way of doing it but literally i'd sit here for hours i've got a, a couch here and or a little, little chair and I'd sit uh, and just kind of visualize like, how do you solve these problems? How do you, you know, what are the pain points? How do you go from, you know, point A to point B or point F in the most effective way? Um, and so, I don't know. I mean, some call it, you know, being a glutton for punishment, uh, but I don't know. That, that's what drives me is trying to figure out like, how do you solve these problems? I mean, you know, at risk of being long-winded, but that was that was really the idea about behind ID agent, right? I mentioned like when you hear like cybersecurity, for most people, it's like holy crap, like what is that? Like it's you know, it, it's so I don't know, it's so complex, so you know, not understood. Uh, and you know, at the time, 
MSPs, and they still do have a challenge in selling security to their, to their customers, but MSPs had a hard time articulating to their customers why they need to buy these security tools to keep their data safe and then their employees protected. So the idea behind ID Agent was just show them the fact that there are passwords out there, right? Let's start with that. Like break it down to the most common denominator and say, look, you don't start to do you know, you know, security awareness training with your staff. You don't start to put in, you know, antivirus or um, I don't know, minimum, bare minimum firewalls and you get into, you know, MDR and all these complex things. You start, you know, you focus on the fact that the password's out there because that'll help you sell all of these different solutions because, you know, when somebody sees their password, right, on a screen, it's like, it's like, it's personal, right? Uh, so that was that was a really interesting thing about ID agents that we broke down security that most common denominator and said, look, it's just this is your password. This is why we you know we've been telling you you need to buy these security services. This is why you need to do it. Uh, and so I think same thing you know as we've kind of looked at this you know massive marketplace and all the challenges. How do you break it down to the most common denominator? How do you make just things stupid simple? You know, and if I, I always feel like if I can explain it to my you know, my my daughter, 14, she's she's pretty darn bright. But if I can explain it to my daughter, you know, then then we're onto something. And so I, you know, I'd, I would bug her, you know, uh, ad nauseum. You know, I would test out some of the messages, you know, to her. And she's like, whatever, dad, don't get it, don't get it. And then eventually over time, I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. And I was like, oh, all right, we're, we're kind of getting somewhere. So she was my, my, best, uh, my best audience for, you know, trying to figure this thing out. What's the first thing you do when somebody refers a business or service provider to you? I know what I do. I go to Google, I Google them, and I check out their website. And what I see online tells me a lot about how this person is going to conduct their businesses, whether it's service-oriented or product-oriented. I look at the details of the site. I read all about them. I check out their homepage. And maybe that's because I've been running an agency that builds websites for many years, But I also think how somebody presents themselves online says a lot about how they'll do business with you. So highly recommend having a great website to conduct your business from. Check us out, www.thebrandid.com. If you need a website from one page to 100 pages, we can totally help you fulfill your need for an incredible website and presence online. Check out www.thebrandid.com. Dot com, the brandid.com. What you've done is brilliant in the sense you keep saying you wish you would have started a month or so later, but you would have basically just been sitting on the couch looking at the whiteboard, right? So but it's priceless having feedback from your customers, whether the MSP or the vendor, that's where you're getting all the rich data and information. Because even though you, you know, functioned in that world with your other companies, it still isn't the same to hear things firsthand from what they're struggling with now. So um, I think it's been really, really smart of you to be gathering this info. Oh, you're so right. Yeah. I think something else that really helped you, you know, do this is two years in and you're growing super fast. And yes, there's been some little kinks here and there. 
But I think something else that has helped you a lot, one, you have a business partner, Matt Solomon, Mm -hmm. and you both have an excellent reputation and personal brand in the industry that you're in. I think there's so much value in launching a company, you know, like a business brand when you already have that kind of track record with both sides of your clientele. Uh, Can you expand just a little bit on that? Because then I have one other question I want to get to that's important too. Yeah, well, first, I mean, Matt's been absolutely invaluable. I mean, he's, he's yeah. just been a ride or die, you know, starting at Windvale and then going through ID Agent and then, you know, you know, a couple of years at Kaseya and then, you know, as uh, as we've launched this platform. And so, yeah, I think the, the great thing about, again, going going back to ID Agent is that, you know, we, we were so different uh, and we created so much noise in the marketplace and so much excitement. Uh, and we could have done it without Matt. I mean, Matt was literally like, you know, it'd be a Tuesday and, you know, we get invited or we're going to an event or there's an event on the West Coast on Wednesday. We were both located in, in the DC area and he'd be on the plane that evening, right? And get out there and get up on stage. And he did that for, I think, over a two year period. I think he went to 150 events globally. I mean, he was down in Australia, New Zealand. I mean, we did tours of, uh, you know, Europe, you know, did, um, remember a couple of, uh, events we did in, in Stockholm and London and what have you. But, um, so we, yeah, we did. I mean, we were pretty public. Matt was a lot more public than I was. Um, you know, I tried to get out as much as I could, uh, and, and interact, but, uh, you know, Matt more so than myself built, built a true persona in this industry. Um, uh, and, and it was all about transparency and it's all about how we can lean in and help the MSP. Like we were genuinely wanted to help the MSP figure out how to sell, how to grow their business. And I think people understood that. And so, yeah, I mean, over those couple of years, we built a lot of, you know, industry credibility and I think we built reputations, you know, and people understood that, you know, yeah, we want to grow a business, but, you know, as the MSP grows, leveraging our platform, you know, we grow. So it, it ended up being very, you know, very, you know, I don't know, symbiotic, right? Right. Um, totally. Yeah. So, so Matt did a, a phenomenal job of building a, a persona and and being out there kind of man of the, the people. Um, and he's arguably, he's probably in the global channel, you know, he's probably top 10 most recognized individuals in the channel. Um, you know, and, and I think maybe many CEOs would be like, ah, oh, you know, why him, you know, should be me or whatever, but it's like, understand your strengths. And and Matt is, you know, Matt is put him up on stage and, and he's an absolute rock star. And, and uh, so it's like, let's, let's lean into that. So he's done a great job. Um, you know, and I try to do, I've got a, you know, a chant, the, the channel CEO podcast. I try to add value where I can, um, you know, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it absolutely, you know, we could have done this if we hadn't built such strong personal brands. You know, we were, yes, it was about, again, going back to IDH, it was about the product and it's about, you know, you know, simplifying the, you know, the security, you know, equation. But a lot of it was really, it was, it was people were buying us because we were ones on stage. They could under they could tell that we were, you know, really dedicated to helping these, uh, you know, MSPs, all these, you know, resellers and bars grow. Uh, and we've carried that forward with this platform. You know, it's the platform is about making this industry more efficient. Navistack is about allowing the MSP to visualize their vendors 
you know, visualize their contract start dates and end dates. That way they can make better decisions and run their businesses more effectively. And then channel commands about allowing the vendor to, you know, recruit and manage and enable their partners more effectively. And so we're, we're fully transparent that, you know, it's, yeah, we want to build a business, uh, but we want to build a business that provides value. And I think, when you can lean into that and and just be open and 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 honest about it, I think that stuff comes through. Um, and I think people can tell, you know, the the, the, the snake oil, you know, yes, person, toad, mm-hmm. yeah, versus the one that that really genuinely wants to the help, you know, you know, create change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I totally agree. Yeah. Well, one other interesting aspect of channel program is all the data that you're gathering on the back end. Um, with what you're seeing from your vantage point, which I would say is, you know, the very high level vantage point too, you've got the the ability to see so much information. What would you say are some of the areas? You know, so you identified the pain points of both the MSP and the vendors, mm-hmm. but where would you say are some of the opportunities? Let's start with the MSPs. Um, as we look at the year, two years ahead, especially at a time where our economy is really struggling, yeah. right? Financially, I think a lot of people are struggling making sales in every industry. So if you can share um, some tips or again, some trends that you're seeing to help MSPs grow and thrive. Yeah. So I think the first thing to say with with great power comes great responsibility, right? Yes. We're, we're fortunate totally. that the way we built the platform, yeah, we're, we're seeing a lot of really interesting data, on the back end, and you know the and the going back to even you know, early days with Engage, it's all about you know, respecting and protecting privacy. Uh, so what we can do now, though, is we can start to see the trends in what technologies are most popular within this industry, right? So what does the the technology stack of an MSP that is two million dollars in Topeka look like? You know, and how efficient are they? with their stack and how efficient are they at selling their technologies? Uh, and what are the gaps within their stack? Because we can now look at an MSP that's $2 million in Los Angeles or $2 million MSP in Miami or DC or Boston or whatever, and we can compare and contrast those stacks to figure out, right, which ones of these are more efficient and how can you help the MSP become more efficient with the technologies that they're providing to their customers? And so. We'll we'll dive deeper as we start to you know get more into pricing information, and we'll help them make better decisions uh, when it comes to what technologies they should have in their stack and where they should be pricing their technologies. Um, and I think again, most of these you know small businesses they don't have they don't have line of sight into that. Yeah, they they have no context. They have no context. I mean, they may understand cogs. Um, you know, hope they understand the concept of cogs, but they really don't. You know, a lot of them, and unfortunately, a lot of them don't understand, like, you know, what's in the stack, um, you know, and and what are their obligations to their to their vendors. Uh, so I think as we progress, you know, over the next you know twelve months, it's about helping them make better decisions, you know, in 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 what technologies make up their stack, and then how we can help them sell more efficiently with the technologies that they have in their stack. So we'll build in a lot more enablement. Uh, tools to help the MSPs so more efficiently because, yeah, I mean it, it's um, it's it's challenged. I mean, one kind of silver lining to kind of the MSP industry is it is bucking a lot of the uh, 
kind of global macroeconomic trends. You're seeing a lot of money still being pushed into the the MSP space because a lot of the big companies that had tech tech staffs, you know, tech not, you know, you know, technologists or or uh, you know, IT staff technicians on on staff, they're now looking to outsource to MSPs. So that that the actually MSP marketplace is is trending positive up and to the right. Um, but there's definitely a lot more efficiency. And so so I think I think starting with that and helping bring clarity to these MSPs that are looking to get from two million to five million, what's the five million dollar MSP, you know, doing what's in their technology stack and how are they positioning themselves? And then we can go up to the, you know, the 50 million, the 100 million, the 250 million dollar MSP. And so you can kind of create a maturity model that helps these MSPs scale more effectively. Um, so I think that's that's part of what we're seeing. And then on the other side, on the vendor side, and we're seeing uh, what technologies are being added to the to the stacks, right? And we so we know that you know anti-phishing, you know anti-phishing technologies are the the twenty first most popular product category. Um, you know, phishing and security awareness training. You hear about all these security awareness training platforms. That's the the I think eleventh most popular product category. So we can help the vendors make smarter decisions about what technologies they should you know build or invest in. We can help you know kind of this third layer. This this platform is maybe even targeted to the venture capital or the private equity community because we can tell them, look, you should be investing in these type of technologies because they're not saturated. You know, not to pick on you know backup and disaster recovery, but you know that market is saturated, and it's it's partly because it's been around for you know twenty ish years. But you know, if I'm thinking if I'm a you know, if I'm in private equity or if I'm you know looking to start a backup company, do I want to be the forty second product? Um, you know, in you know in the you know list of options for an MSP, you know. Probably not, unless that's something really ridiculously innovative. And so, so it's a little early days, but as we progress, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of that trend data, and we're going to help the vendors and you know the folks that back a lot of the vendors, you know, make better decisions about where to place bets. Um, you know, and I think a lot of times, you know, we're, we're often and we've had some very difficult conversations with some vendors. You know, especially over the last six months, where we said, "Look, you might not want to go down this path," and so maybe in some cases we're helping some of the vendors save, you know, millions of dollars by not, you know, going down a path that's just not going to be, you know, profitable for them. So I think that's the that's where that's kind of the direction that we're going with the platform. So we we're seeing a ton of data, but you know, as we progress, I think it's going to get even more impactful and help, you know, both sides of the marketplace make more efficient or better decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Can you share just maybe two or three tips for an MSP to scale from the 1 million, 2 million to the 5 million, just based on what you know now and your experience? Yeah, I I think it's just kind of general kind of rule of thumb thing when we've seen is you really have to understand, have an understanding of your, your cogs. Um, and that that's hard to do uh, for for most MSPs, and it's not 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 every MSP starts its way. But the, the story you hear quite often is that you know I was a technician, I was working on a help desk, I got laid off, figured I could start you know a small little business on the side, and 
do some of this break fix stuff and then eventually become an MSP. And you hear that story time and time again. I mean, it's, it's, it's great. Cause that's kind of the, I mean, it's, I don't know, it kind of warms the entrepreneurial heart. Right? Yeah, totally. Um, but, you know, as a technician, they're focused on, you know, they now have to focus on not just the technology, but they have to focus on trying to go out and get customers. And then they have right. to like, you know, at nights and weekends, try to figure out QuickBooks and that stuff. But I think one of the, the biggest challenges, and it goes for any business, is that, you know, you have to understand your specific limitations. And then if you can surround yourself with people that can fill those gaps, then that's great. But I think one of the big issues with a lot of these MSPs is they don't understand their kit cost, right? That they don't understand the expense that goes into their stack. Uh, and that's, again, I think that's where, you know, the, the Navisac platform is going to have, I think, pretty, pretty significant impact, especially for the smaller MSPs. But I think that's the first thing. Um, I think the second thing is again, kind of looking at the stereotypical, um, MSP. I think it's worth investing in, uh, and look, you know, two things really, you know, learning how to sell, um, Right. And then, you know, creating a, a brand, personal brand that helps you sell more effectively because, you know, they're going in and having to try to figure out how to, you know, create a quote, how to, you know, find customers. But I think I've found the more successful MSPs, whether they're small, midsize, or large, they're the ones that have a, you know, a, a public persona. They have thought leadership out on LinkedIn or doing stuff on Facebook you know, they're being, you know, really transparent. And I think for a lot of folks, especially early days are like, oh, why am I doing this? And, you know, they may, they may put a couple posts up or they might be consistent for, you know, a week or two, but over time, that consistency, you know, of that thought leadership is even, you know, as, as small of a slice as it, it might be, that adds up, that builds up. And so I think kind of investing in, in, creating uh you know creating a brand not just like a logo right but you know being transparent about why you're doing what you're doing why you're there to help solve and and you know have an impact on your customers i think i think that part helps but then i also think it's um i think it's it's taking a a, a couple sales classes right um uh, cuz i i think that those are invaluable skills just in general. And it's hard, especially for most technicians who are predominantly introverts, you know, to figure out how to go out and and sell. And um, yeah, I think those are, I think there's, there's a couple of those things that I would, mm-hmm. I would have uh, folks lean into. That's great. Yeah. What about on the vendor side? Gosh. Um, any, any tips for them? Yeah, I think so. Universe or categorically what we see across the board is that again, some of these product categories have 20, 30, 40, 50 different, you know, competing solutions. Right. And it's hard for an MSP or any, anybody looking at these solutions to really understand like, how are you different than, than someone else? Right. There's a lot of product parity. Um, And unfortunately a lot of these companies, Again, going back into the cybersecurity space, um, a lot of these companies use the kind of the same like hacker with the hoodie on. If you've seen those oh, images, yeah, yeah, yep, totally. They use that iceberg, and 
you know, yes. this mysterious blow. It's like everybody looks the same. So I think for the vendors, or maybe going back to ID agent, one of the reasons why we scale so different, we look ridiculously different. We were security, but you know, we didn't use the hacker. We didn't use the iceberg. We don't look like everybody else. You know, fortunately I had a, a, a good friend of mine, Dharma created the branding for, for ID agent. And it was kind of this ink kind of mysterious smoke. It was like really, you know, strong contrasting colors and the industry loved it. But what they loved even more than that was that we templatized all of these sales materials and, and enablement materials and made it so easy for the MSP to take our document, put their logo on it and take it to their customer. And then we invested in, in training and enablement. We brought on a whole bunch of former MSPs and built, you know, I would say a world-class enablement, uh, you know, program. And so when I look at any vendor, especially if they're in a crowded marketplace, if they're not leaning heavily into enablement, if they're not, if they're not going out there and, you know, going beyond the nines to help support their, you know, partners grow, then they're, they're going to be left behind because the MSPs now understand that there is a lot of product parity uh, and they're going to, they're going to hitch their wagon to the the vendor that's going to actually, you know, do something. And that's, it's a challenge with every vendor, right? I mean, it is, it's manageable. I remember the early days with ID agent. I, I knew first 20 customers, you know, they had my cell phone, we were texting back and forth like, Oh, me, you guys should you know put this button in there. Can you do this? And but when you get to 400, 500, a thousand, you can't do that. So you have to figure out how to create an effective enablement program. So I think, I think categorically the data shows us or university data shows us that if you lean into enablement, you know, and, and really truly enabling your partners, you're going to grow faster. Your retention rate's going to be higher and you're going to outpace the competitors in those, in those crowded marketplaces or categories. And so I, I think it's it's all about enablement. It's every everything you can do to lean in to make it easy for your partners to sell your solutions more effectively. That that's what that's what's going to win moving forward. You know, and and the vendors that don't get on board with that, they're going to be the ones that spend a couple million dollars in the marketplace and figure out pretty quick that that uh, that they should go back to selling direct or go back into enterprise. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, um, as we come full circle here. Is there any any last words you want to share with uh, with either the vendors or the MSPs? You've d- done really an incredible job in building this new company in in just a couple of years, um, and I, it, you know, wh- actually, let me ask you: Where do you see Channel Program going in the next year? Aside from you know, cal- you know, taking all this data, packaging it, providing insights, where else do you see yourself growing the company? Um, I know, I, I think, I think now that we know what we want to be when we grow up, and I think I've been using that line, uh, quite a bit lately. Um, I think the next year is really about maturing, you know, operationally. Um, and, and, you know, we've got a great core team, but I think it's really about expanding and, and bringing on some other folks that can help, you know, take the data and help, you know, make even, even, you know, better decisions, you know, or, or provide uh, more insider input. So I don't think from a from a platform standpoint, we're going to stray too far away from where we are today. We're going to just iterate the hell out of it and and um, you know, really 
you know, we've got the North Star initiatives for both sides of the marketplace. Um, but ultimately, I, I think that we will be, if we aren't already, and this is, you know, try not to, you know, get too, uh, you know, too ahead of ourselves, but, you know, we we are, we will be the, the most valuable platform in this industry, hands down. You know, the type of data that we're pulling in, the type of decisions that we can help both sides of the you know, marketplace, we're just going to, we're going to lean into that, you know, and and it's really, it's really about, you know, going back to this whiteboard and saying, all right, now we got this platform, you know, what are the next things that we can do to add value, you know, within this context, within these two different tools? Uh, and I think if we do that right, you know, we'll be at, you know, who knows where we'll be by the end of the year next year, but um you know, we're we're fortunate that we're we've got that hockey stick growth going on and and I think it's just gonna absolutely accelerate as we start to to lean into some of this contract management and helping helping people make really smart decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, where's the best place for people to learn more about you, Kevin, and channel program? Uh well, I mean, uh just channel program in general, it's just channelprogram.com. Um out on the socials, I think I'm pretty pretty visible. Out on LinkedIn. Um, I don't know what my my LinkedIn tag is or whatever, but yeah, just Kevin Lancaster should pop up. Um, I'm trying to be a little bit more active on on Instagram and and X and all that stuff, but as uh, the kids say, I'm I'm a little cringe, so I gotta I gotta be careful what I post. Um, I let my daughter, you know, help me with my my social uh, <laughs> profile out there and. And um, she did a great job, but I realized my my average age was you know trending down into the teens because all her friends were following me. So that's so funny. Yeah, so I got to work on that. But that's uh, cute. I think LinkedIn is probably the best best place today. Yeah. So yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, and congratulations on all you've built. Well, no, thank you. I appreciate uh, just all of our chats and, and your wisdom and your support and everything you've done to help me get here. So I, I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to The Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.